Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to teach and educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Some days, the market just hates to go down. Yeah, rebels against going down with all its heart, with all of its soul, and with all of its might. And today was one of those days. Dow advancing 56 points, the fourth straight up day for that index, the S&P gaining 0.40%, and the Nasdaq climbing 0.63%. What do I mean when I say the market refused to stay in the red and end up nicely in the black? Last night, Netflix, Netflix of all companies, poured its first suboptimal quarter in ages. And given that its stock was up more than 100% going into the announcement, it could have kneecapped the Nasdaq and perhaps taken down all the averages with it. When a high-profile company, and it doesn't get much more high-profile than the N in Fang, describes its own earnings as, and I quote, strong but not stellar, like Netflix did on its, in its note to shareholders last night, you know that investors are in for real bruising. But after initially dropping more than 55 points, the stock furiously rallied to close down just 21 bucks. That's a sure sign that this market was willing to overlook many of the quarter's flaws. As I've told you many times, Netflix is all about subscriber growth. So when the company added just 5.2 million new members, much lower than the 6.2 million number we were expecting, of course the stock was laid to waste in late-night trading, and then again at the opening. The mystery here is not why Netflix got shoved into the wood chipper like Steve Buscemi and Fargo. It's how the heck was the stock able to claw back most of its declines in an almost Lazarus-like resurrection? I got some theories I got to share with you because it's probably by far the most substantive thing that happened in today's session. First, despite there being tremendous competition for eyeballs online, Netflix still has an excellent business with fantastic growth, despite the less-than-stellar situation. Second, the company threw cold water on the idea that there's less binging going on. Its programming remains beloved by viewers everywhere. Third and most important, CEO Reed Hastings is one of the few executives left in this entire market who gets the benefit of the doubt. And he gets it because he deserves it. Investors don't seem frightened about how much money Netflix is spending on new program, and it's spending boatloads. They trust Hastings when he says he doesn't mind all of these competing, compelling sites being uh, the paid ones popping up all over the place. He's confident that Netflix has the best programming, and that's what matters because that's not a commodity. They're not worried that the company might be charging people too much after its recent price increase. When I considered uh, the action today, the buyers seemed to be saying, look, given the tremendous strength in subscribers anyway, the real issue here is Netflix's lousy forecasting. Not its business, it's forecasting. Yet pacing simply extrapolated wrong, betting there would be over a million more subs because business had been smoking, just smoking hot, going into the quarter. Netflix just muffed its prediction, and I don't think they even know why that happened yet. But you know what? 
you have literally never gone wrong buying Netflix on the dips, so the buyers couldn't resist buying this one, too. Hence why the decline stopped at 55 points and the stock reversed. Downright amazing when you think about how much this stock had run going into the quarter. Now, that's what I call a leap of faith. And the Netflix rebound wasn't the only incredible thing that happened today. There was something else that also distorted the whole market, particularly the NASDAQ. It's what I call the ETF effect, and it's driving many a trader crazy. At the opening today, the cratering of Netflix was so intense that it literally pulled down the other three members of the FANG cohort. Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Now, Alphabet. Whoa, pin action bit large. Why did that happen? Because there are about a dozen ETFs that contain FANG and almost nothing else. These ETFs have more power than the individual stocks could possibly generate. So that means the stock of Netflix can crush the stocks of Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet because they're all part of the same ETF baskets. That's right. Our relentless emphasis on mad money, on FANG, the acronym, has spawned the creation of ETFs that force these stocks to trade together. When we identified these stocks five years ago, after going off the charts with Bob Lang, something we'll do again this evening. The FANG acronym stuck, and the financial engineers just couldn't resist building multiple ETFs around them. In fact, we now have what I'm going to deem the Dumas effect, or Dumas if you're a Philistine, where the FANG four are like the three musketeers plus D'Artagnan, because the action is very much all for one and one for all. Now, there is a tortured logic to this, and you need to understand it, even if it is kind of stupid. First, people assume that whatever ails Netflix has to kind of hurt Facebook, right? So we have to question social dominance and the video advertising ambitions. Whatever ails Netflix must hurt Amazon, right? The dominant subscription retailer, especially since Amazon's website crashed on Prime Day yesterday. And whatever ails Netflix must also ail Alphabet, because YouTube and Netflix are about streaming video. But, and this is a big but. What goes down because of one FANG member can go up because of another. Which brings us to the stock of Amazon. Now, everyone was worried about this Prime Day breakdown that happened yesterday. I, you know, it continued today, but the, not the breakdown, but the Prime Day. And the stock initially, whoa, it's, it shed 22 points, and it looked like a real ugly day coming. But then, mid-morning, Amazon told us that Prime Day sales so far are bigger than ever. Meanwhile, an outfit that measures these things called Feedvisor said that spending jumped 89% in the first hours of the event. Holy cow, so much for the outage, and that helped turn around the whole group. And it's a major reason for the rebound in Netflix. It was pin action the other way. And all this reverberated well beyond Fang. Netflix is a subscription site. So every subscription-oriented stock, which had earlier gotten crushed because of Netflix, uh, came back. Apple opened down a buck. Costco shed a buck. Spotify, the music analog to Netflix, saw its stock lose six bucks. Boom. They all returned to the positive. When Netflix opened down hard this morning, I was on Squawk on the Street. And I wanted so badly to say buy it. However, it's very hard to say right at 930, ignore management's own verbiage about how things were less than stellar, end quote there, and just jump in with both feet. That's not what I'm prepared to do with a stock that's up more than 100 percent when management's throwing cold water on its own stuff. I mean, you know, I, I was willing to go there, by the way, on the stock of Goldman Sachs, where a perfectly good quarter was met with a torrent of selling. I think there were some people who just didn't want to own Goldman without Lloyd Blankfein, the man who saved the company in the dark days of the Great Recession, has been a fantastic CEO who's at the helm and he's retiring. Sure enough, Goldman stock came roaring back, and that's a nice acknowledgement to me also that new CEO David Solomon would do just fine. Thank you. I was willing to recommend United Health Group, another Dow stock, and that was down seven, uh, as the stock only got hit so so hard because CEO David Wickman expressed satisf- dissatisfaction. 
Yeah, he, 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 he actually kind of grumbled to himself that, that he was unhappy with the quarter. I mean, that came out of absolutely nowhere, as it was a huge upside surprise. The company had a gigantic increase in free cash flow from operations, a great measure of how he's doing. Mr. Wickman, you are being way too hard on yourself. It didn't help my too negative thinking about Netflix that most stocks that open down big tend to stay down big for the session. Brokers sell them all day and then try to nail the close to show that they've averaged better than where it went out. Yet the stock managed to bounce back thanks to that fang effect as well as the huge number of short sellers who needed to buy stock to ring the register of the positions or were just so tired of losing money. But here's the bottom line. When you've got an amazing track record like the CEO Reed Hastings at Netflix, the market can be very forgiving. A big subscription miss becomes not a problem with demand, but a problem with forecasting. And when we get an all-for-one, one-for-all boost from Amazon, it's just too hard to keep a good fang down. Let's go to Jack and Ohio. Jack. Hey, love your show, Jimmy. Thank you, Jack. Hey, it seems like they hit a little speed bump. What do you think about buying on pullbacks with the uh, pesticide salad, McDonald's, MCD? I could not agree more. I think McDonald's, which is down 7% for the year, with Steve Easterbrook at the helm, is a terrific opportunity. I would pick that one up right here. Hey, how about Brian in Hawaii? Brian. Hey, Jim. How's it? Brian from Hawaii. Okay. What's going on? Uh, Virtu Financial, V-I-R-T, posted historic numbers last earning report. Revenue, EPS, 1,000% increase, net income year over year. Been trading down ever since. Doesn't make any sense. They thrive off of volatility year to date. Really volatile market. They should be posting great numbers you again know, this quarter. Let's do this, Brian. It, it, it's up 44%, but I want to look into it rather than just say, yeah, that should be up because there's a lot of brokerage houses and banks that we know are nowhere up 44%. So it's entirely possible that that one's just coming back to earth. And I've always wanted to do more in virtue because there's a lot of really, really good people that are associated with it. And I'll be able to do some more work. Right, sometimes the market just absolutely despises going down. We saw that today with Netflix, which was forgiven, but certainly not forgotten. On Mad Money Tonight, Take a seat. I'm ranking the best home good retailers to see which company could help your portfolio with a profitable remodel. Then, the standings don't end there. I'm revealing the three names that have emerged as winners in the Wall Street fashion show this year. Don't miss my take on the apparel space. And with the president slamming the pharmaceutical industry, you'd think the biotech stocks would be taking a hit, too. But they're having a pretty darn good year. What's behind all that positive pin action? I'm going off the charts to find out. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.
with the specter of tariffs haunting this market. People have been moving their money into nice, safe, domestic consumer-facing companies of late, the ones that don't need a booming world trade or strong global economy to perform well. Yeah, there's, that's that nasty recession rumor because of the two and ten year that I talked to you about. But not all domestic consumer facing companies are created equal. Some of them are a heck of a lot more equal than others. Consider the home goods retailers, a group I know you're fascinated by here. Let's talk about Williams-Sonoma and Wayfair. They've been on fire lately, while Bed Bath & Beyond remains a real laggard. Let's compare the three because I think this is an important exercise to help you understand why some stocks work and others don't. They're like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Bed Bath is too cold. Wayfair is too hot. Williams-Sonoma, just right. We'll start with the odd man out, Bed Bath & Beyond. The huge home goods chain that's been the bag to Amazon's boxer, Hey, thanks, Pearl Jam's yellow lead better. With a stock that's been punched to the canvas, down more than 75%, 75% since the end of 2014. Nasty. Even so, with the domestic retailers coming back into favor in the Wall Street fashion show, Bed Bath has been mounting a bit of a comeback lately. With the stock climbing nearly 16% from its May lows. So could this be a genuine bottom or is it merely a relief rally? Okay, the first thing you need to know is that there's a good reason this stock has been such a poor performer. Bed Bath's been eaten alive by online competition, especially the aforementioned Amazon. And that's only been made worse by a series of bad management decisions. For example, the company's been a voracious repurchaser of its own stocks, but these buybacks, they did nothing to prevent the stock from getting crushed. From 2012, I thought this was extraordinary, from 2012 to 2017, Bed Bath reduced its share count by 38%. Monster buyback. Yet it was a huge waste of money as the stock tumbled from $60 to $19 over the same period. Just from 2013 through 2017, they spent, get this, $5.4 $5.4 billion on this impotent buyback. Put that in perspective, Bed Bath's currently market cap of $2.7 billion. They could have used that money to revamp their stores, grow their online business, improve the logistics network. The, re- the really crazy thing, Steve Tamaris, who's been the Bed Bath CEO since 2003, still got a job. Normally, after this kind of multi-year breakdown, maybe the board would start be thinking, hmm, how about a transition? Now, Tamaris does have a turnaround plan, and it's formidable. He wants to roll out smaller format stores, bulk up the company's e-commerce business, and embrace new technology to help move merchandise. Bed Bath's also working on an Amazon Prime-style loyalty program. But when I see all this stuff, I can't help but wonder, hmm, too little, too late. And sure enough, when Bed Bath reported a few weeks ago, the results were not so hot, with declining same-store sales and deteriorating margins. My view, look, Bed Bath, it's cheap, okay? It trades at less than 10 times earnings. But it's cheap because the company has consistently dropped the ball. Cheap for a reason. I I could call it the worst of breed. Maybe management can deliver on their turnaround plan, and I do like their web slate slash catalog, One King's Lane. It's very good. But until we see some evidence that that turns working, you know what? I'm going to just take a pass. I, I can't bring myself to endorse it here. How about Wayfair? W. This is in many ways the exact opposite of Bed Bath. Wayfair is the big online retailer of furniture, home furnishings, and home decor. Over the past couple of years, the stock has been a monster. It's been a huge winner, putting on 129% gain in 2017, and it's rallied another 55% for 2018, often on the back of the shorts. Every time the stock gets crushed, like when Wayfair gave some ugly guidance in February, they ultimately managed to get things back on track, a lot of what, like, what people did when Netflix was down big today. And you know what? That's why Wayfair stock just hit a fresh all-time high in this session. 
Basically, Wayfair is a turbocharged domestic growth story. In, in its latest quarter, the company's sales increased by nearly 48% year over year. That's an acceleration versus 2017. And while it's not yet profitable, they keep bringing in new users, up 33%, and each user buys more stuff, up 9%. Wayfair now gets almost two-thirds of its business from repeat customers, up from 60% the year before its snowballing. But Wayfair has a problem of its own. Not only has it never turned a profit, management seems almost, I don't want to say, let's say, uh, disdainful, but how about indifferent to profitability? To be fair, though, that's how you run a growth business. They're taking a page from Amazon and Netflix. It's their playbook. But stocks that live by revenue growth also die by revenue growth. While Wayfair is far from expensive, uh, it would trade at 1.3 times next year's sales estimates versus some of the incredible Cloud King stocks that we look at. It is a high-risk stock because we know it gets annihilated the moment investors start worrying about its growth trajectory for, I would say, more than one quarter. And that's what happened in February. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again. If it does happen again, I think you'd see some real sell-off. Don't get me wrong. You know what? I really do like this story long term. And it's been a big mistake to tell people to sell the stock. Uh, and a lot. Of, uh, and I did it in February. OK, I said that it was too rich. I was critical of the story here after a huge sell off. But Wayfair is very hot after its recent run. Too hot for me. And I think you'll get a better buying opportunity if you're patient enough to wait for the next major pullback. I have, in some of these incredibly hot stocks, been more cautious than in retrospect I should have. I can't change my stripes. So if Bed Bath is too cold and Wayfair is too hot, what's just right? How about Williams-Sonoma? Unlike the other two, this is a company that's all about high-end merchandise, which it sells via a bunch of brands, including uh, Pottery Barn, West Elm, and, of course, Williams-Sonoma. Now, this company's had its own share of problems. The stock was nearly cut in half in 2015, then spent the next couple of years trading between the mid-40s and the mid-50s. In the past two months, though, Williams-Sonoma has exploded higher, from 47 to 62. Why? Because Williams-Sonoma is in the midst of a monster comeback. When the company reported in late May, they shot the lights out, fueled by strength at West Elm and a red-hot online business that now represents 53% of their overall sales. The stock's sort of the news. Since then, it just keeps running and running. I like that. Now, we had CEO Laura Albert on the show a few weeks ago. We were downtown at the exchange. Explained this move, and she told an incredible story. Basically, the new Williams-Sonoma is a hybrid retailer, half brick and mortar and half digital. They create beautiful stores that give you a pleasant shopping experience, but they're also focused on using new technology to boost sales, including artificial intelligence. Well, here, take a look. We see our best customers cross-channel. Um, and there's a lot of people just online. There's a lot of people just focused on big stores. We are focused on both because we know that's how you shop. They're also masters of online marketing. Anyone who cooks should know that Williams-Sonoma has tons of terrific recipes online, especially recent, uh, especially recipe videos. People really like those. And that helps them sell their fancy kitchenware, which I have to admit is pricey, but we like at home. But you know the best part of Williams-Sonoma? Even after a tremendous run, the stock remains darn cheap. It's trading just 14 times next year's earnings estimates for best of breed. 14 times earnings? And I wouldn't be surprised if those estimates turn out to be too low. Here's the bottom line. When you look at the home goods retailers, Bed Bath & Beyond is too cold. Those guys are trying, but the company just hasn't invested enough in e-commerce and the business has been left behind. Wayfair's too hot. They've got a great online-only strategy, but the stock has doubled just since the end of April. And I think you get a pullback if you wait. And then there's Williams-Sonoma on the other hand. It's just right. After years of testing, they figure out how to seamlessly merge their digital and real-world businesses, and the latest numbers were amazing. So if you want a nice domestic home goods retailer, I say stick with Williams-Sonoma. Ah. Daniel in Florida. Daniel. I want to thank you for all you do for ski daddies like me. Ah, thank you, buddy. Thank you. 
<laughs> I, I'm calling about the sleeping giant that I think is wide awake. I'm calling about ticker symbol uh, WMT Walmart. They recently formed a partnership with Microsoft, and I think they're going to take on Amazon. Uh, I think this is a good entry point. What are your thoughts? Daniel, I completely agree with you. I've been watching Walmart closely. It's fallen well behind the rest of its cohort, and yet it's really not that bad a company. I think you got a decent uh, level, and I did like the Microsoft. Uh, I absolutely loved, actually, the Microsoft deal because they, you don't want them subsidizing Amazon. <sighs> Yellow lead better. I mean, who doesn't like Pearl Jam? I mean, Eddie Vedder and I are often confused for each other when we go to bars. The home goods retailers have become Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Bed Bath is too cold. Wayfair's too hot. And Williams-Sonoma Chef's right. Much more mad money ahead. It's a brave new retail world, and some stocks in the space have posted some serious gains over the past month. In apparel, I'm eyeing the top three ones to see if they're worth trying on. Then, could the biotech place continue to deliver healthy returns despite Trump's noise on drug pricing? I'm tackling technicals and giving my take. And it's a rally in three groups that seem to defy all the odds. I'll reveal the camps that are moving. Coming up next, stick with Kramer. the retail cohort has gotten a new lease on life. Not long ago, everyone was fretting about the decline and fall of the brick-and-mortar stores and how the Amazon Death Star was destroying chain after chain because there was just no way to compete with them online. But now retail, and especially apparel retail, have come roaring back. Some of it has to do with a very strong economy, a consumer who's flush with cash. That's not all there is to it, though. When you look at the best-performing apparel plays, you see two things. There are the companies that have figured out how to compete on the web with a workable omni-channel strategy, as they call it. And more important, they're the ones with the best understanding of what the consumer wants. Remember what Salesforce has taught us, that great onboard to the cloud, a cloud king? The customer. It's about pleasing the customer. Remember, merchandising is more of an art than science. If you want to predict the world of fashion, it takes a special something that's hard to quantify. But the companies that have figured this out, the ones that know what their shoppers want to buy, have been on fire of late. The best examples? Look at what's been working on the Wall Street fashion show, Canada Goose, Lululemon, and Urban Outfitters. Let's start with Canada Goose, the maker of high-end fur-lined coats and parkas, as well as other types of apparel like accessories and knitwear. Now, for those of you who don't watch the show regularly, I recommended this stock the day it came public. It roared higher like a rocket ship. And early last month, I told you to ring and register on part of your position as you had a 175% gain if you started buying Canada Goose when I got behind it. Now, nobody ever got hurt taking a profit, but I definitely made a mistake here. I was too skeptical of a great story. Got off too soon. At the same time, the stock was trading, at that time, the stock was trading at 44. Two weeks later, the company reported one of the great blowouts, and the darn thing surged to new highs. It's now trading at nearly 64. So, mea culpa. I didn't like the risk-reward going into the quarter. We had such a big gain, but it was wrong. I wasn't just worried about the results. I also expected a fresh secondary offering from Canada Goose. And sure enough, we got one just five days after the quarter, which caused the stock to pull back a quick 10% from its highs. And if you ask me what I was really worried about, it was because I thought there'd be a secondary and it wouldn't be handled well. That was wrong, too. 
At these levels, I think the stock's attractive, but let me tell you why. Canada Goose is mainly a wholesaler. They sell their products at department stores who then sell the stuff to consumers. But the company's been trying to shift to a more direct-to-consumer model, opening their own fancy stores in major markets and building out an online presence to cut out the middleman. That's been tremendous for the company's gross margins. At the same time, their high-end products fall right into the sweet spot of what aspirational consumers want to buy right now, which brings me to the latest quarter. Again, I was a little worried going in that Canada Goose would have trouble because the company's historically been very focused on winter apparel. But the numbers showed that Canada Goose is not really some seasonal retailer anymore. The company delivered much better than expected sales and earnings and gave very robust guidance. They delivered nearly double the sales that analysts were expecting. In short, these guys knew exactly what they're doing. I'm just glad the stock has pulled back from its recent highs so you can pick up some Canada Goose into weakness. Don't forget, great China angle here. They sell a great deal into China, and no, I'm not concerned about tariffs here. Next up, there's Lululemon. The increase Recently iconic athleisure chain. Here's a stock that's giving you a monster 64% gain near to date. And what makes this all the more impressive is there's nobody at the wheel. Lululemon CEO Laurent Podevin stepped down in February on gentlemanly conduct. And since then, they still haven't found a replacement. Yet that doesn't seem to matter, as Lulu keeps knocking it out of the park because consumers absolutely adore their merchandise. How crazy is this? The stock was trading at $77 when Potovan resigned in early February. Now it's at $129. Why? Because even without a CEO, Lululemon's been able to report two blowout quarters in a row. At the end of March, they delivered a stunning beat. With 12% same-store sales growth, most of that strength came from the company's exploding e-commerce business. Wow, is their site hot? Then when we heard from Lulu again at the end of May, we got another magnificent shoot-the-lights-out quarter. This time, the company's total same-store sales increased by 20%, and that included an excellent 8% gain at the actual stores themselves, as well as some magnificent 62% growth from the online business. The stock surged into the stratosphere on the news. It hasn't looked back since. How did they do it? Well, Lululemon got the technology right. Their online business is on fire. In the latest quarter, Lulu's online traffic increased by 30%, and their conversion rate, the percentage of clicks they, that turn into sales, rose by 20%. At the same time, they keep rolling out new products that consumers can't get enough of, like their new yoga pants and their new sports bra and a bunch of new products for men. And, of course, they have some of the most productive, fun-to-shop-at stores in the industry. The one problem? Lulu's stock is expensive selling for 35 times next year's earnings estimates. I don't like to chase, but I would definitely put this one on your shopping list and pick some up the next time we get a market-wide pullback. Finally, there's Urban Outfitters. A year ago, this company looked like roadkill. Since then, the parent of anthropology and free people has seen the stock soar from $16 to nearly $46 as of today. It's been an amazing comeback. What happened? Quite simple. Urban Outfitters had a terrible time in 2015 and 2016. The broader industry was in rough shape. Urban itself had fallen out of favor with the consumer. A lot of people thought it was played out. Since then, though, everything has changed. The big picture economy backdrop has improved dramatically. At the same time, fashions have changed. These days, people favor a different silhouette. Once again, Urban has the merchandise that consumers want. The shift has been phenomenal. The company's now delivered four straight better-than-expected quarters, and the most recent results had posting a 10% increase in same-store sales, double-digit. That is huge. All three of Urban's brands are doing well. Traffic turned positive. The online business is red hot. Perhaps best of all, the company's total markdown rate was the lowest it's been in a decade. That means the stuff is flying off the shelves, and they don't need to discount it much to move their inventory. And according to CEO Richard Hain, these trends just keep getting stronger and stronger for longer. 
betting that it's not going to roll over anytime soon. And, and, oh, and even if this move, Urban Outfitters trades at only 17 times next year's earnings estimates. I'd be a buyer right here, although I'd like to buy some more into weakness. The bottom line, a rising retail tide may lift all ships, but some of these ships are a lot more seaworthy than others. Canada Goose, Lululemon, and Urban Outfitters all have a keen grasp of fashion, and that, along with their terrific execution, have made them winners. Wait for pullbacks in Canada Goose and Lulu, although I do sanction some Canada Goose buying, and Urban Outfitters. Buy, 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 buy. Buy it right here. Let's go to Chris in Washington. Chris. Jim, I'm a proud Action Alerts Club member. Really appreciate all oh, you do. Excellent. For us. Thank you so much for subscribing to the club. How can I help? Hey, L Brands got pulverized on Thursday as it reported sales, which dropped uh, in June by 1%, despite a big sale at Victoria's Secret. The stock was down 12.1% on that day and continued down for the next two days. We're in the green today, I see, but a mile away from its near term high of 36.7%. True. Is it time to take my first loss as my best loss? Your first run? loss is your best loss, just like you learned about in the book Real Money, and we talk about constantly at the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. So, yes, I do want you to take that first loss. Let's go to Jason, uh, because I don't think that there's a turnaround in, in sight. Let's go to Jason in California, please. Jason. Hi, Jim. Booyah from Coast Mesa, California. Oh, fantastic Hi. to have you. How can I help? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been investing since April of this year after watching your show daily with my cousin and reading Get Rich, Get Rich Carefully. Oh, I've wow, invested in an S&P 500 index fund as well as six stocks, and okay. one of my stocks is American Eagle. I'm up about 12% after last week, last week last week's dip, and I'm curious if I should buy more shares. No, I would not buy more shares. I, I think that this is an okay retailer that's doing better now. It's got some better numbers, uh, but I don't countenance buying it all the way up here. This stock has already increased 26% for the year. All right, retail has been just incredible, and I think Canada Goose, Lululemon, and Urban Outfitters are the best performers. Buy the, buy, look, uh, buy, I would really buy this Canada Goose and I would buy it on some weakness, and I would buy some Urban Outfitters right here. Lulu, too rich for me. Much more mad money ahead. The biotech stocks are soaring as of late. But does that mean they're a buy? I'm checking in on the health of the sector in tonight's off the charts. Then a riddle. What do you get when you combine a Fed chairman who doesn't want a recession with the absence of negatives about trade? I'll reveal the surprise the answer just did. And all your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. At a time when President Trump keeps slamming the pharmaceutical industry over excessive drug price, remember you just nailed Pfizer the other day? You might think that the biotech stocks, well, they should be getting slaughtered, right? But you know what? If you're spending a long time in the doghouse, biotech as a whole is actually having a pretty darn good year. With an Aztec Biotechnology ETF, it's the IBB I'm using, up 17% for 2018. Not bad. Every time the president makes noises about drug pricing, the group does get hit, but then big institutional money managers merely step in and buy those dips. Given biotech's newfound leadership role here, I think we need to go off the charts, get a better sense of what's happening in some of the stocks in the group with the help of Bob Lang. 
You know, Bobby's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star team behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. He's also the author of Know Your Options. As a technician, Lang doesn't try to look for reasons to justify what's happening. That's kind of what I do. That's the, called the fundamentals. That's not how the charts work. Instead, he watches the action, the money flow, the options flow, stuff that's empirical, even as the actual business of interpreting the charts is far more than art than a science. Put it all together, though, you get a pretty good picture of how the hedge fund and mutual fund managers who dominate the market are behaving. What do the charts tell us about biotech? Like with every group, you've got your winners and your losers. In biotech, the biggest winners, like Amgen and Alexion and Regeneron, don't necessarily overlap with the best performers of your. Let's take a look at both these leaders and laggards, because Lang thinks the former will continue to run, and the latter may be ready to turn. All right. We'll start with the daily chart of Gilead. That's a former market darling that went out of style in 2015 when people realized their big hepatitis C cure was just too darn effective. Remember, chronic illnesses is what people really want here if you're investors, not if you got them. It's actually curing a serious chronic condition that was chronic and no longer is, and that means much less repeat business. Now, this has been very good for people who suffer from hep C, but it's, it's less good for Gilead's bottom line. For the last few years, the stock has been put through the meat grinders. The company's pipeline is much more of a crapshoot. Last year, they paid nearly $12 billion for a very unproven company, Kite Pharma, a major cancer immunotherapy play. But while the long-term opportunity here could be enormous, it's going to take a long time before it actually pays off. Still, in the last few months, Gilead stock has started to bounce. Has gotten screwed back? Lang likes the recent pattern of higher highs and higher lows. And you can see that, higher highs, higher lows. He likes that Gilead has busted through both the 50-day and 200-day moving average through that one and through that one, okay, through the blue and the red, uh, as well as the previous ceiling of, one seven, of uh, 75. The check in money flow, which measures the level of buying or selling pressure in the stock, well, that just went positive. That's a pretty good sign, very reliable. Uh, and the relative strength index, RSI, that's an important mo- momentum indicator. Well, it's higher than it's been any time since February. Meanwhile, Gilead's moving average convergence divergence, we call that the MACD, uh, that line helps technicians detect changes in the stock's trajectory before they happen, not coincidental, but before. Made a strong buy signal a few weeks ago with the black line crossing above the red. This tends to be a very reliable bullish sign. Throw in some unusually positive options flow with heavy call buying out in October and January. And you know what? Lang thinks that this stock, Gilead, G-I-L-D, is ready to roar. The stock is overbought right here, and the next ceiling comes in at around 82, up 5 bucks from these levels. Green line. But given everything else he sees in the chart, Lang believes Gilead can keep climbing. In fact, it's his favorite name in the group. He wouldn't be surprised if it starts challenging its old highs of around 110 by the end of the year. That would be incredibly bullish, but I do think it's a washed-out stock and therefore ready to rally. Next up, how about Celgene? This is another darling-turned-dog with a stock that's been punished mercilessly since late last year based on worries about competition for its main drug, Revelman, as well as concerns about the pipeline and acquisition that costs too much that really isn't giving him that bang for the buck so far. This stock is down 20% year-to-date. But just like Gilead, it's starting, it's starting to pick up its head. Look at that. Take a look at the check in money flow. That's the CMF, okay, uh, down at the bottom. After spending ages in negative territory, the money flow has turned green, meaning the big institutional buyers are finally stepping in. Meanwhile, Lang points out that Celgene seems to have made a W-shaped, and that's this, a W-shaped bottom here. Uh, and, and granted, that is one weird-looking W, right? But a W nonetheless, and that's a bullish sign, especially with the stock now breaking out. Where does Lang see it going? Okay, right now the stock's at 86. He thinks it could make a move to the 200-day moving average. Look at how high that would be, right? 
That's currently around 97 bucks. This is a lot in the coming weeks. And he may be uh, right, given the recent rotation to biotech. Without the rotation, though, I'm less sanguine. Finally, check out a weekly chart of Illumina, I-L-M-N. All right, now, technically, we know this is not a biotech and doesn't trade like one when you look at that. It's one of the best stocks in the market, okay? Um, but it's more of a biotech-oriented medical technology company with machines that help decode DNA. But the thing about Illumina is that it's been one of the best-performing large capitalization healthcare stocks since 2017. The darn thing has nearly doubled over the past year and a half. And as far as Lang is concerned, the chart is a thing of beauty. Just look at this. Illumina has been steadily moving higher and higher, practically in a straight line. Just breakout after breakout. Chicken money flow remains very robust. The MACD indicator is insanely strong with a continued pattern of higher highs and lows. Volume trends, well, they are terrific. Okay, you can see that there's on that, that's a pickup. I know you could magnify that, but the volume is very, very good. Uh, meaning it tends to go up on high volume. The declines take place on low volume. That's what matters. The only problem, aluminum stock is overbought. The relative strength index is at a pretty high level. There's the RSI. That's too high for most. Uh, this thing, though, has been overbought very frequently since 2017. Now, that has never been a reason to sell the stock. Instead, you've done much better if you simply wait for the next pullback, and we get those all the time, and use that weakness to do some buying. Where's Illumina going? Lang doesn't have a target, but he thinks the general direction is higher, and he recommends you keep using weakness to do some buying, then occasionally trim your position by selling into strength. He's right. Just feel it. Bottom line, the biotechs and the biomed techs have finally started showing some signs of life. And the charts interpreted by Bob Lang suggest that Gilead, Celgene, and Illumina have more room to run. My view, look, if you believe the economy is going to stay strong, then maybe this rally does peter out. But you got my blessing to put on some exposure on any one of these or all of them, as I think Lang is going to be dead right. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the Lightbill And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with John in Michigan. John! Hey, Jim, I uh, love your show. Uh, I got a stock that's trading 30% of its book value. It's Deutsche Bank. Yeah, I don't know if I can really just take... I, look, the company did say that things are better than expected. I think that it wouldn't be a bad idea for them to raise capital. They've not said that. I don't care what the book is. I've been fooled by book value. Both fooled. How about Joel in Pennsylvania? Joel! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're quite welcome. What's up? Hey, uh, you re- recommended Four Scout Technologies a few months back, and I made two buys on this stock. Do you feel the same way about it today? Yeah, uh, actually, I feel then? even strongly about this now, and I also like, the, by the way, Palo Alto. I like CyberArk. I think those are absolutely terrific. I like Nice. I think that is good. And I like Proofpoint, particularly because now we are back battling with the Chinese on intellectual property, and that means that the Chinese might be making it so bye, that bye, bye. we need more cybersecurity. How about Richard in Florida? Richard! Yeah, thank you for taking my call, bud. My stock that I'm interested in is Applied Material, A-M-A-T. Okay, Applied like Materials, I think at this things. level, is too cheap. I saw land research going up. Now, it may take the whole cycle. It may take the whole cycle. It may actually literally take six to nine months for, for Applied Materials to come back. But I am urging patience. Let's go to Daniel in California. Daniel. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about Cardinal Health, C-A-H. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm too, it yields almost 4%. I liked it higher. It is 
Hard for me to imagine how this stock got all the way down to 50. It is just not that bad at 10 times earnings. How about Joseph in New York? Joseph. Jim, I'm in the house of pain. Okay. The question is, I have uh, Buckeye Partners. Shall I continue with it? Buy it? No, or- don't buy anymore. Last night, Al Monaco, I think, opened a lot of people's eyes with Enbridge when he basically said that the master limited partnership model is not working. Uh, therefore, I think that my inclination is don't buy any more don't, of don't, that don't, stock. Don't, don't, don't buy. Don't buy. How about Tina in Tennessee? Tina. Hi, Jim. Hi, Tina. Thanks for your thanks for your passion, humor, oh, and thank integrity. You. Thank you. My stock is ITW by Seller Hall. Okay, my Chapel Trust uh, owns it. You can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. It's rather interesting. This is a company that is doing uh, this that is doing quite well with a stock that's doing quite poorly with an absolutely terrible chart. It reports next week, and I've got to tell you, my Chapel Trust is not wavering. We'd like to be able to buy some in the 120s, 130s, but I think Mr. Mr. Santi, who's been on the show, should come on and talk about why business isn't as bad as the stock indicates. Harlan. In Washington, Harlan. Hey, Jim. What do we do now with Opco on this big rally? You know, Opco's coming back, and we know uh, Dr. Frost never sold any stock, and we know the stock is low, but I have no thesis to recommend the stock without Dr. Frost coming on here and telling us. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Combine a Fed chairman who doesn't want to throw us into a recession, which has suddenly become a big concern, with the absence of negative news on trade, and you'll get a pretty wild rally, not one, not two, but three oppositional groups that simply aren't supposed to move in the same direction at once. I'm talking about the defensive recession-proof stocks, the cyclicals that need a strong economy to thrive, and the home builders. We had big winners in all three cohorts today, and that's highly unusual. Let's start with the defensives. you got a whole camp of people who say, for Forget what the Fed told us about economic growth. The Treasury yield curve is almost inverted, and that means we're headed to a recession no matter what. If you really believe that, then you want to own a stock like Johnson Johnson. Despite a pre-market downturn, J&J rallied back huge. It closed up $4.42, or 3.54%, as investors realized that the forecast, which the media deemed a shade down, was actually just a currency issue. J&J gave you incredible pharmaceutical growth. Sales accelerated the medical device business. I've been waiting for that. Company has a fantastic balance sheet, and I don't think it's at all threatened by recent ovarian cancer cases allegedly linked to their talc. It's got a top-notch dividend. None of these things will be impacted by potential recession. What's the extra urgency to buying the stock of J&J up more than four today? I think it came from Fed Chief Jay Powell's congressional testimony. Powell said that the economy might, and I quote, be unexpectedly weakening, end quote, because of, quote, current discussions over trade policy, end quote. In other words, there's that thesis, the one that says President Trump's tariffs are going to throw us into a recession, the one that says the tariffs are causing the yield curves to invert, a solid predictor of recession. And that's why J&J stock were higher. But this market seems capable of holding three contradictory ideas at the same time. Because there's two other whole camps, the camp that wonders what happens if the economy takes off and the one that does well when you have mild growth without inflation. Remember, Powell also said there is a possibility of strong increases in the economy because interest rates and financial conditions, quote, uh, quote, 
remain favorable to growth. And we've also got lower taxes, higher federal spending, and a healthy outlook for growth abroad. That's why many of the cyclicals also took off. Stocks like PPG, Dow, DuPont, Honeywell. These are classic smoke smokestack stocks. My Chapel Trust, which you can follow along at ActionAlertsPlus.com, joining the club, has uh, owns Honeywell and Dow DuPont. And when the economy's expanding, there's no recession site. These are the ones to go to. I think we'll see more of this kind of action tomorrow when the stocks of United Continental and CSX respond to some sharply better than expected quarters after the close. And while I haven't listened to the call for Texas Instruments, that one looked darn good, too. Yes, we have to worry about more presidential tweets targeting China. We have to be concerned about still more tariffs on top of tariffs. But the strength of the cyclical suggests that the economic expansion will continue. Of course, I wouldn't read too much into that because the strength of J&J says just the opposite. And then you got this third quizzical group rallying. It's the home builders, led by D.R. Horton and Lenar, with stocks that both increased almost 3%. This, matter, this matters because it tells a whole different story about the economy. The home builders rally when the Fed is going to raise interest rates gradually and, of course, when there's not raw cost inflation. So maybe things are a little bit better. Uh, and then there's music to the home builders' ears because it means mortgage rates won't soar, wrecking their business. Slow inflation and slower interest rate hikes also helped the retailers, and they rallied nicely, too, helped by Powell's comments that, quote, robust job gains rising after tax incomes and optimism among households have lifted consumer spending. That's an incredible confluence of positives beyond the fact that FANG held in despite the decline in Netflix. And we have to wait again to see Texas Instruments. The stock is down on some other news, but the numbers look good. So what does it all mean? I think these moves are all about a recognition that we have a very thoughtful, very sophisticated Fed chair who's not going to jump to any conclusions to slam the brakes on a good economy or throw acetylene on it to make the economy overheat. A Fed chairman who wants to balance the risks, relies on the data, and seeks to do the considered thing for is exactly what a stock market looks for. He's become a force for those who are bullish, which is how all these disparate groups could rally at once today. An amazing thing. Stick with Kramer. You know, like I like the transport so much in the United Continental great quarter, CSX great quarter. That could really color tomorrow's opening because the transports are such an important part. They represent commerce, and the market likes it when they're good. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here at Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.